0: Love Talk Radio
1: From days of long ago From uncharted regions of the universe Comes a legend What's wrong with him? My first thought would be A oh, uh,
0: Time for the Ken Reedy Show. Whatever he is, he destroys. Daniel Diggins!
2: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, KNM Productions proudly brings to you the best wrestling talk show in the world The K Dog, Ken Reedy,
3: The Hartford Kid, Dave Rosenbluth. This is the Ken Reedy Show. You know the drill. If you're not down with that, we only got two words for you.
1: up in this space. Thanks for tuning in to the Ken reading Show. That's
0: all Day. It's just a few this time across everyone head. We time to get together with the mama, the time mama,
4: the wish and the half-nobiles. Mother's the picture of John's Mother's Day. to
0: be
2: to all people out there. And I hope one great is to call your mama or see your mama, get you get us something good today because uh, mamas are important. This is the Ken Reedy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Give me a call, please, at 347-838-9815. That number again is 347-838-9815. The best in pro wrestling talk right here each and every week. Get on the bus. You guys, it is time for us to start. And as always, my tag team partner, Dave Rosenbluth. How are you today?
3: I'm doing great, my friend. Doing great.
2: Awesome. Tonight's a big night also. There is a TNA pay-per-view going on at this moment while we speak. Um, Shaping up to be a pretty good card. You got Rude versus RVD. Um, Sacrifice is the name of the pay-per-view. Devon in a handicap match versus Robbie E and Robbie T. Gail Kim, Miss Tessmacher, for the Knockouts Championship. Hardy versus Anderson. Magnus and Joe versus Daniels and Kaz. And Kurt Angle versus A.J. Styles. Card looks good tonight. We'll be doing the show here in the studio. But if you're to give us a call, give us some updates on the pay-per-view. Again, 347-838-9815. Dave, looks like a solid card. What do you think? Yeah,
3: it looks pretty solid to me. Um, you know, I mean... There's always room for improvement, you know, in wrestling overall and uh you know, uh, let's just see what you know let's see what happens. Uh hopefully uh you know the uh the outcome of the uh the pay per view is is better than uh the uh the advertised card.
2: Amen, Larry, and, and uh just so everyone knows we got a couple of big things going on here at the Ken Reedy Show. We're moving and grooving and again, cannot thank you all enough for out there listening. Uh, Looking at our stats here on Blog Talk Radio and listens, uh, we are up to we're over uh, a thousand hits on our show. So, uh, you know, archived and live listeners. So, appreciate everyone who's supporting us. Onward and upward—that's all we're going. So, get on board. Tell your friends to get on board. Right here is the best in pro wrestling talk. And June 11th is a big day for the Ken Reidy Show. June 11th, 2012. We got Dave, who's going to be at the Hartford Show, the Monday Night Raw special three-hour show. He's going to be there. I'm going to be doing the Ken Reedy Show live at the Peppermill South in Congers, New York. Again, the name of the the Peppermill South in Congers, New York. I'm going to do the show as kind of a pregame for Monday Night Raw, 6 to 8 p.m. on Monday that week. Uh, Great food. Great drink, great bartenders, great atmosphere at the Peppermill South. Um, and then we're going to go right into Raw, and we're going to keep the sound on. I know it's important for wrestling fans, uh, but the sound will be on Monday Night Raw, will be on the TVs at the Peppermill South. So come on down, come and listen to the Kennedy Show live, and then hang out afterwards as we watch a special three-hour edition of WWE's Monday Night Raw. And Dave will be on location in Connecticut In Hartford, trying to get us uh, a lowdown on the feel of the crowd. We get some reaction out there in in the the parking lot or in the arena. Just give us a feel of how the event looks like it's shaping up that night. So that's going to be a big night for the Ken Reedy Show. Come on out to the Upper Mill South. Um, Or if you find Dave somewhere in Hartford, you know, go up and say hi to Dave and get on the, the show. Or, you know, if you can't do that, you can't be with us live, by all means... Log on to blogtalkradio.com and listen to us there and give us a call in that night. And that is June 11th, and we are running a special T-shirt contest. Not a wet T-shirt contest. Although, now that I think about that, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we should do yeah. a pretty Show wet T-shirt contest.
3: Maybe hmm. maybe hoot, but not for some of our male wrestling fans.
2: That's a good point. Although, some of our male... Ah, never mind. I'm not going to go there. But anyway... Yeah, no. We had that conversation last week. If you go to a wrestling event and have a Ken Reedy Show sign and you're holding the sign up and it gets on camera, we will send you a free Ken Reedy Show t-shirt. So, you know, if you can make your signs up, get them on camera, you know, I mean, make make all your signs. Just make, a, you know, make make like five signs. So you make a Ken Reedy Show sign. You can make your I Love John Cena or Cena Sucks sign. You know, you can make your... You know, straight edge sign, and you know to rotate them throughout the night. I'm not saying you only got to bring a Ken Reedy Show sign, but if the Ken Reedy Show sign gets on camera, we'll send you a free T-shirt. So, the ball, make something really creative and unique, and fluorescent and bright and stuff, and that'd be awesome. So, you know, let's let's get that going for your free Ken Reedy Show T-shirt. But so, those are all the goings ons in the world of the Ken Reedy Show. But as always, right here is the best in pro wrestling talk. So let's start talking some pro wrestling. And to start off, I would like to talk about Mr. John Laurinaitis and what he's doing right now in professional wrestling as um, one of, if not the number one heel in, in the WWE right now, arguably the number one heel in the WWE. Um Interesting. What he's doing. What do you think of, of the role he's playing so far, Dave?
3: Um, I think it, I think it's worked out pretty well over time. At first, uh, you know, it didn't really. He he's more of an office guy. He wasn't, you know, a um, a, a guy. That, I mean, he had a career in wrestling, uh, mainly in Japan. Um, a brief stint in the, in the United States in uh, World Championship wrestling, but he wasn't really known for his uh, his verbal skills on the microphone. So it took a little time to get used to, but um, even some of the mistakes that he had made, the company seems to, the writing team seems to have uh, embellished it. It's almost very hokey, and uh, but it, it works. It's drawing heat. Um, the minute the guy speaks, everybody, you know, the whole place boos. Um, so, I mean, it's working. And if it's not broke, uh, you know, there's no no need to fix it. Um, well, I just hope that... Um, that you know his run as the as the general manager of both shows, which I think is stupid to even have him as the. He's got three titles now, you know. I'm um, John Laurinaitis, the executive vice president of talent relations and the general manager of both Raw and SmackDown. Well, if you're in charge of the whole thing at this point, you might as well just name yourself the executive vice president of talent relations, and not you know you don't need the general manager titles for Raw and SmackDown because you basically run both shows. I mean, you you know your team won the stipulation at WrestleMania, so uh, I just. Admit, but I just hope that the that his run as general manager, you know, whatever on television, um, it doesn't go on too long, that there's a point in time where, um, you know, he gets his coming and eventually he'll be off TV or he'll even be moved to another role. Um, I just don't want to drag out too long because I don't think he can thrive in a long-term angle like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I I think he's evolved very nicely as as a heel, and I do think that in wrestling, one of the major problems for for years now, probably coming out of the the Attitude Era, uh, moving forward, and and also the the NWO, um, is is the the fact that like heels became kind of cool. Uh, you know, they they weren't that traditional like, guy that gets booed, and on some levels that that works, but. On some levels, you know, you need to have those guys that are just universally hated, that are just just bad guys that nobody can like. And you know, I mean, coming, you know, we've we've all been there where you have a, a boss that just is is holding all the the cards, has got you by the balls. You need your paycheck, you need your job. You can't walk out, and they just keep raining shit on you. And that's all they keep doing. It, as much as, as soon as you think that perhaps the shit has stopped, management decides they're going to shit on you further. So having a guy like Laurinaitis, you know, provides that sort of uh, character that's very that taps into something very visceral in a wrestling fan, and you can hate him very easily. And he's universally hated. And you need guys like that in, in pro wrestling. And there's nothing cool about him. There's nothing that a wrestling fan can get into and say, oh, I really want to be like him. He's dull. He's obnoxious. Um, he's disillusioned. And he's, he's the, essentially he's incompetent management, uh, which a lot of people can buy into hating, which is making the character work very well. Um, and I do like that they've branched him off. And even though he's got this thing going with Cena, he's also kind of getting, um, into Big Show's face too. So he's he's pissing off Big Show and that's an interesting dynamic where, you know, that, that whole you're forty years old, you're a freak of nature, where are you going to work? And and I like that because again, all of us at one point or another have probably been in a situation in our lives where management has had you by the balls. And you got this incredible, like, you know, seven foot, five hundred pound monster and this this older guy in a suit got him by the balls. And I just think it works really well for uh, his character. And it works well that he's, you know, busting chops on different employees in the company, that he's not just being a dick to John Cena, that he's just an incompetent, uh, incompetent management that is pissing off a bunch of different people in the company. And, And I like what they're doing with it. I agree with you. I don't know how long, um, but the one thing is, you know, every good heel at some point needs to lose something that's near and dear to them. And I would speculate that down the road a piece there's going to be a match or a rematch or, or some stipulation somewhere that Laurinaitis will wind up losing one of, if not both, shows at some point. Uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking they're going to do. Who knows? Um the criticism for Larnitis would be uh he's being a cut rate vince man and but who could really ever replace the mr McMahon character uh it, it's a tough it's a tough situation to be in there's no i mean that mr McMahon character was was brilliant um but the scenario works it works having management holding all the cards and kind of abusing their power. It worked with Mr. McMahon, it's worked with Eric Bischoff, and as he gets more comfortable in the mic and being in front of the camera, I feel like it's starting to work really well now with John Laurinaitis.
3: Um, Yeah, no, I do agree. The one thing about Laurinaitis I like with this heel character, most of the heel authority figures in wrestling seem to have always had like one or two or a couple of heels that they have Um, sided with or had an entourage, an alliance, a a faction of sorts. And um, Laurinaitis doesn't really have somewhat of a faction. It's not necessarily that he is favoring um, certain guys, certain heels, but more or less he's opposing certain babyfaces. Which I like, which I which I find interesting. Um, you know, when he got into this role back in the fall, there were rumors that they were going to do like a somewhat of a you know a poor man's version of the corporation, and have you know there's Nash, Kevin Nash would have been involved in it uh, when he was around at uh, our truth and Miz when they had that alliance going. um, and uh, possibly you know a guy like Del Rio, but he seems to other than the the uh, the, the team that he uh, assembled for his WrestleMania match with uh, Teddy Long's team, um, he really hasn't like had a certain heel that he has brought to his side, so to speak, um, to oppose the uh, the babyfaces, and I like that, you know. And like you said, there isn't really anybody that can replace the Mr. McMahon character, but you know a lot of the, a lot of you know, a lot of people they see the Mr. McMahon character, and because it was done so well um, during the Attitude Era, people forget that Eric Bischoff was the first heel authority figure in wrestling. Um, you know, he was the one that started that, and Vince caught on to that after the whole Montreal Screwjob thing with Bret Hart, and he embellished that character even more and made it better. And I think because Vince made it so good, people forget that Bischoff was the one that really started that as the heel authority figure. Um, so with the Lauren Ice character, it seems to work out, um, you know, fairly well so far. And like I said, uh, hopefully it doesn't run too long. Um, you know, maybe within the course, you know, the next, you know, this, this next year, um, maybe leading up to next year's WrestleMania, he'll be, uh, you know, gone from that position or, you know, moves you know, some to a different character on television, but um, he's evolved nicely, and um, I think that I think some of the things that he like, some of the mistakes that he makes in his promos and the, the the some of the talking that you know he uh, you know his, his comments that he makes, I think now that's basically done on purpose because he's not the greatest in the world, but people it, it gives wrestling fans something to bitch about, you know, and I think the company wants that.
2: I agree and i also i like what he's doing also in in an election year um i, I think the people power thing is so god obnoxious um and it's so uh, again it's you know the good heels or a good face or are are something you can tap into something very visceral and the idea that he's promoting people power promoting he wants to include the people, but he really doesn't and and in The climate in the country nowadays, politically speaking, I I think, you know, you do have people who are staunch Democrats or staunch Republicans, but I think there's a lot of people in the country that just think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who is in office or who is doing what, because they could give a shit what I think. And they're up there kind of giving this illusion that uh, they care and they're campaigning and they're they're promising that, but most people... I think there's a good percentage of people in this country that think, well, they don't give a shit really about what any of us think and what any of us really need. John Laurinaitis is kind of embracing that, you know, putting out there people power, but essentially he's a dictator, and he doesn't care what anyone thinks. What anyone might think is the best thing for the company, but he's giving this illusion of people power, and I just think that works really well, and who knows – where are going to go. I agree with you. They can't go too long, but maybe they go to like around election time with Laurinaitis uh doing this this run. Um I'm not so sure if they can make it work until next year's WrestleMania, but who knows? I mean, there's a lot of uh ways you can go. I mean, he's got Lord Tencha in, in the fold so to speak. You know, down the road does he start to build a a, a stable uh, of guys? Um maybe even leading into Survivor Series. So maybe there's a a match there uh, for some sort of control or something. Uh, who knows where they're going to go with it? There's a lot of directions, you know, to kind of spruce up the angle and, and keep uh in the picture. And obviously, they, they're doing something with with Eve, and Eve's going to have a, a role the whole storyline as it goes forward as well. So who knows where they're going to go? There's a lot of options. That um, the interesting thing though is going forward with you've had John, Cena, who's had you know the match of his life uh symbolically speaking, I guess, in WrestleMania. That was supposed to be the match of his career. Uh, really and truly, and we're both kind of in agreement, his match versus Brock Lesnar, possibly, quite possibly, the match the match of his career, uh, which he won. Uh so two incredible challenges for for John Cena uh against two very renowned athletes. Um and he goes one and one in those two matches. Where do they go with him versus Laurinaitis? I mean, you would think now that they would that he kill. I mean, he should kill John Um But he's obviously he's got a bad arm now, so I'm sure that will play into you know how they book the match. But where do you see them going forward now with with Cena versus Laurinaitis? What I, I'm, I'm curious, because I'm kind of at a loss. Like I, I part of me thinks that there's no way Cena can lose this match, especially after the what he did with Brock Lesnar but there's part of me that's that says well, yeah, but Lanitus winning would just be the shit as far as putting him really over as the number one heel uh in the company and obviously there'd probably have to be some sort of outside interference involved in that case, but um. Where do you see them going with this storyline, Dave? Um
3: well, I mean I'll I'll delve into it in my uh my 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 day five uh, stories of the week in professional wrestling when it concerns John Cena. Um but I I think he'll be off the television after this match, to be quite honest with you. I'm I'm almost Cena? sure of it. You
0: think uh, yeah, John
3: Cena? I, I think John Cena, yeah. I, I and I'll I'll get into it later, but um you know uh He's got this arm injury, he's facing Laurenitis. you know there's gonna be some sort of shenanigans that you know that that on Laurenitis' end that's gonna you know 'cause obviously he's not gonna be able to do this on his own, and I mean you know this is John Cena we're talking about John Cena in a wheelchair, he probably still couldn't beat him up, so um John Cena with one arm, you know he's still- he's gonna have somewhat of an advantage, but at the same time, he's still going to have other people. I think there's going to be somebody else getting involved. I'm almost positive. Um, But I I think John Cena will take some time off um, after this match. I think it will make sense. They could even go as far as they could even make a stipulation. Lauren Ice can make a stipulation that says, you know, if you don't beat me, you're fired. And they really leave him off the television for a month, two months not showing up in the arena wearing his knee pads and his wristbands exactly. and buying a, buying a ticket in the front row. I mean, like, he'll be gone, um, not seen on television. He won't get a goodbye speech or anything like that. Um, I, I think they'll add more heat to the lore and his character, for sure, for, with, with the John Cena fans, and it will also give the people a break from John Cena and so that when he eventually returns... He's got some you know they'll they'll build him back up and he's got some momentum behind him um and people will be interested in seeing him again um uh, depending on how long they take him off television so uh i I could see you know and then the other part of that too is is that if Laurentis were to make this stipulation, well everyone's gonna think, well shit, this is a no brainer John Cena with one arm is still gonna beat John lourentis you know this is you know it's it's it is, you know, it's easy. It's a slam dunk right here. And then when you know if they pull off the angle where Laurinaitis actually beats Cena, possibly with help of some outside interference of sorts, you know that everyone will be like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" Like, you know, he wasn't that wasn't supposed to happen. Like, he's not supposed to lose to John Laurinaitis. Like, are you kidding me? But people also got to remember, John Laurinaitis isn't just a suit. He used to be a wrestler, not a very good one. But he used to be a wrestler, nonetheless. So he's got wrestling background. So, I, I, the end result, I think, I, I think we see John Cena off TV. No, no less than a month, maybe, you know, maybe more. Maybe we'll see him off for a couple of months. Then you know they they advertise him coming back at SummerSlam to, to, to boost buy rates. Who knows? But I, I think uh, that's yeah,
2: I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that it, they're they're getting close and they're working the storyline well, that um, John Cena off TV would be a, a good thing. Um, and, and it's not going to look like look strong right now. Um, and him being off TV uh, would be a good thing. And the interesting thing, the I- irony of it all, is if Edis is the guy uh, to put him off TV, and it would put him over as a big-time heel... But as he he's relaying his character, people power, I give people what they want. A lot of people would want John Cena off t v um so as much as I put him over at the heel it's it's ironic how uh he'd be he'd actually be giving a big percentage of the people exactly what they they want uh but they do if they run this angle, if they go the route of you know, John Cena is going to be fired, or if they even go to the extreme and you know, 87 people run down to the ring and beat the holy hell out of John Cena, and Laurinaitis wins the match, um, they 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 have to. He goes out in a stretcher. He has to be off TV. I mean that's the the bottom line: if they're gonna run an angle, whether he's fired or leaves the the arena in a stretcher Or or like you're saying The stipulations if you lose you're fired Whatever the case is They have to have him off TV it's, If anyone In the WWE is listening there's, You cannot run another angle With John Cena being Out of the WWE Or being fired or, or anything else With him coming to the arena Wearing knee pads and his jorts You just cannot do that again um it would be you just have to run it where he's not on TV, at least for a few weeks. Um and like you said, let's let build him up. Let's build up the big John Cena comeback and uh you know put him over again with the crowd. Uh but it it is paramount that if they run an angle such as this, that um he be off T V. Maybe just maybe as someone who's being strong armed by the boss and has to do what the boss tells him to do. Maybe we see some interference from the big show, reluctant ally to Mr. John Laurinaitis, and maybe Big Show winds up annihilating John Cena because he's a seven foot tall, 500 pound freak who's 40 years old, and nobody would want someone like that. Where are you going to find a job, Big Show? So if the big boss man tells you, you're going to take John Cena out. Well, God damn it, you're going to have to take John Cena out because the boss says so. And why don't we go out to the phones right now? Tony, are you there?
5: Hey!
2: How you doing, guys. How you doing? Doing all right. How are you?
5: I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, they, um, what to do with uh, Johnny uh, Laurinaitis and uh, you know the Cena Laurinaitis story, um, I don't know what they're going to... Um, yeah if they're if they're like you know if they' trying to recreate the uh Austin Vitz angle it's you know the, the, that's not gonna really work out too good for for them you know it's just and um but you know if if whatever they do you know it's like i know Cena's, like supposed to be having you know put his arm in the swing and everything, and uh, I don't know i i guess you heard about his divorce- you know he's going through a divorce bid right now he filed for divorce with his wife and everything so um I think say, if, if he does lose at... Uh, Thanks for ruining my top five report there, Tony. I
0: <laughs> Say
5: what? Oh, the scene course?
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. Keep going. Right.
5: Oh, sorry, Dave. <laughs> uh, but anyway, no, yeah, but uh, it was, um, you know, so I don't know if they're going to have Cena lose and, like, you know, like have, like, Lord Tenzai or whatever. Maybe, like you said, you know, like, have Big Show turn heel because Johnny Ace makes him and, you know, just, like, do something as a way to write Cena out of the stories for a bit you know, just so so he could take some time off to deal with, uh, to deal with the the divorce or whatever, but, uh, you know, you know, without Cena, you know, it's like I said, you know, it's like, he's pretty much the top guy and it's like, you know, I don't really know, you know, it's like,
2: what are they going to do with him
5: not there? I mean, you know, it's like, he's pretty much like the, uh, the company, you know, they pretty much centered the whole damn company around him. You know what I mean? You know, I don't know if if I'm making any, you know what I'm saying? Yeah,
2: no, I agree with you. Um... Yeah, it's a good point. So where I mean where do you still I think like what you're thinking with uh Laurenitis, um I mean where do we think the character, the uh the character that is John Laurenidas, so where do you see where do you think that evolves into? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's,
5: it's definitely, you know, like the whole, you know, like Hale GM commissioner, what, well, you know, what happy has been, you know, it's like, it's been, it's been, you know, like you mentioned before, you know, it's, it's been done to death over the past, like 15 years, ever since Eric Bischoff started it. And then Vince, I, I guess you could say he perfected it. You know, he made it, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I do agree that he, he made it better than Eric Bischoff did, but, um, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't know, like, I was like the Johnny Ace character for me, just like, you know, it's, I've always found to be kind of boring, you know, it's just like, you know, he doesn't really have, he doesn't really have, you know, like any, any charisma to him, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, I just see it very, you know, I don't know how long of a life show can, you know, that kind of a character can have, you know, before the fans, it's just like, you know, kind of, you know, say they've had enough of this.
2: What do you think, like, you know, his angle right now with, with the show?
5: I'm not right, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it kind of it kind of makes Big Show look a little weak, if you, want, you know, because it's like you know he's you know like I say he's a 400 pound guy. You know, it's like unless like if the payoff, you know like if they uh, if it's, this is going to turn into maybe like a, I don't know, if either like you say him working for uh, Laurinaitis or you know, eventually just like blowing up and then giving him the chokeslam or something. I you know I don't I, you know I don't know where where they're uh, where they're gonna go with this, you know? Because I mean, first they have, they have Eve to him out on uh, on Raw, then uh, then um, he gets more, you know, and that made him look like a puss bag too much. Yeah. And um, it uh, you know, it's really, yeah. You know, it's it's, you know, I'm not really sure, you know. I mean, you know, it's uh, I I didn't see the Extreme Rules match with Cody Rhodes, but I mean, you know, I mean that didn't, you know, that match didn't do, you know, if it gets another. I mean, I didn't do Cody any favors. I mean, he got buried too. You know, it's, us uh, you know, I don't mean to jump all over the place here, but um. You know, so I, you know, it's like I don't know what to do with Big Show. You know, it's like there, it's always been like, you know, it's always been very hit and miss with him. You know, it's like I'm, mean, I like Big Show. I think he's a good performer. I think he's a very funny guy. You know, and, and um, you know, and he and he can definitely have good matches. You know, if the right guys are there with him. But um, as far you know, it's like as far as this this current storyline of what they're gonna do, I I don't know. I'm, they're probably yeah, you know, I'm guessing they're probably gonna do the um, what you were saying. You know, it's like he's gonna you know, the you know, it's like the whole, there's no. uh there was a much need for a 400-pound guy outside of, outside of wrestling, so he got so he's gonna Johnny Ace is pretty much gonna have him by the by, by the and make him uh, do you know make him do what he wants.
2: Yeah, you're probably right. I I'm curious also before you go, Tony, what do you think of uh, the return of Paul Heyman? What's that? What do you think of the return of Paul Heyman?
5: Oh, I popped huge for it. I love. I absolutely love <laughs> him. Paul Heyman is is, is, the, is one of the greatest promos ever you know it's like the guy's freaking mastermind I, I just oh my god i, I love oh man you know <laughs> i could i mean i could put over that guy all day
2: that's awesome yeah i was, was kind of psyched to see him around um all right tony as, as always thank you so much for the call and we'll, we'll hear from you next week oh absolutely all right talk to you soon man and remember tony's our blog guy check him out com blogs on all the shows awesome recap if you miss the show just go and read his blog Uh, He gives you a a detailed explanation with a little bit of pink what happens on each and every show over the course of the week. Um, And just to give you guys a little bit of news, uh, winners and new uh, TNA World Tag Team Champions, Daniels and Kazarian beat Samoa Joe and Magnus for the Tag Championship on TNA Sacrifice. I got some stuff on the Facebook from Michael Lancaster telling us that it was a very good match. Um, I'm not sure if I like that result. Um, I kind of like Samoa Joe and Magnus holding the belts, but we'll we'll see where they go storyline-wise. But that's the first results we're getting in from the pay-per-view tonight. Again, check us out on dot com. No, scratch that. Facebook.com, slash Um uh, Go on Facebook, start posting stuff about the pay-per-view. We'll read it off. Uh, I'd like to hear what you guys are thinking if you're watching Sacrifice. Uh, by TNA. And we'd like to hear from you here. So if you want to give us a buzz, 347 838 9815. That number again is 347 838 9815. We just on it a bit there with Tony. But the big thing on Monday night the return of the one and only Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman is back. Paul Heyman in a WWE ring. Dave, did you pop hard when he came out?
3: Yeah, um, I mean, it wasn't – the element of surprise was taken away from me when I was looking on uh, Facebook, and um, I subscribed to uh, com and uh, they do updates, and it gets posted on the Facebook. And uh, they put up a, uh, a tweet from CM Punk that said, Paul Heyman heading to the ring, and uh, it kind of, you know – uh, it kind of left, you know, the, uh, the the element of surprise, you know, uh, got thrown out the window. And then, uh when Lesnar's music hit, I, I was with my brother watching. It. I didn't tell him about the tweet. And I just said Paul Heyman's going to show up. And he sat there on the couch and he just was like, "Really?" And then all of a sudden he came out and he was like, "Oh my God, you're right!" <laughs> like like I was you the one that could get- yeah. So I I, I kind of got him there. He he got he was surprised. I thought it was great. I think it works really well with the way the Lesnar character is right now, with his absence off of television. It it, it garners more heat. Paul Heyman is a heat magnet, um, it, for the most part. Um, and, uh, you know, a little history about Heyman and Lesnar. Um, you know, they, Heyman used to manage Lesnar, and uh, Heyman... Um, even when Lesnar was in UFC, Heyman had done some work with him. Heyman wrote the foreword to his autobiography. But um, when Heyman was working for WWE 10 years ago, before Lesnar ever made it to television, Lesnar was doing dark matches before Raw and SmackDown. And he was just l- mauling guys. And uh, the idea was, was that they wanted to bring Heyman back to television as a manager, agent, whatever they wanted to call him at the time. And the idea was to put him in there with Chris Benoit, because Heyman and Benoit had a friendship dating back to... They're working together in ECW, and when Benoit wasn't ready to return, Heyman was watching the monitor and saw Lesnar, and he went to Vince and he said, "Well, what, what are you going to do with this guy?" And Vince says, "I'm going we're going to try to turn him into the next Goldberg, but better." Heyman goes, "If you get, if you trust me enough, give me the opportunity to work with him. I'm telling you right now, it could, it, he could, he's going to, he's going to be huge, and you know, you put him in there with me, and he's going to draw heat." And Vince took a chance on it and let him do it. And they had a successful run as a, you know, manager wrestler duo for the better part of a year in 2002. He won the title from the rock. He went through guys like Hogan, Ric Flair, Undertaker. Um, So, I mean, uh, you know, it's definitely, it definitely helps with this storyline. Like I said, with Lesnar's absence and the way his contract is structured, you can bring Heyman in Um, from time to time to be the representative of Brock Lesnar and draw more heat on Lesnar for the fact that he's not there to begin with um, because the fans, you know, won't appreciate the fact that he's a talented, you know, a talent under contract and not showing up on television and Heyman's there to represent him. I mean, it works. And Heyman can talk. And I I think it's going to really enhance the storyline.
2: I agree with you, and and I mean, when Lesnar first came back, and and I made no bones about it. I mean, again, I, I him being back did nothing for me. I get it; he's going to draw heat, he'll make money, and and look, and I liked the Cena match with him. I I, I thought that was all good, but I, I didn't pop hard when when Lesnar came back because, like I said before, you left like a bitch. Good riddance to you. That's how I feel as a wrestling fan when it came to Brock Lesnar. You badmouth wrestling on the way out. You had a failed NFL career and a good but kind of a flash-in-the-pan MMA career. So, you know what? You can stay away from professional wrestling. Um, but he came back, and whatever, that's good. And it's worked so far with him. But the one thing I when he came back is this guy can't talk for shit. He was never able to talk. And when he was paired with Heyman, it was amazing. Um, and having Laurinaitis being the guy, I mean... Complimenting Larnitis on how this character of his is evolving, but you know he's not a guy to put someone else over uh, verbally. Uh, he's he's not good enough. I mean, like you said, sometimes the screw ups are almost becoming part of his character, uh, but he's not going to be helping anybody else. So uh, bringing Heyman in at this point is, is tremendous. I think it's it's a brilliant move. Um, a guy like Haman uh, can talk. Incredibly, uh, he does so much for, for the uh, Lesnar character. And as you, you you pointed out, with his contract and being off TV, you've enabled Lesnar now. Now, you've gotten one out of the way with Lesnar not being on TV. And what they've done is kept Lesnar relevant. He's still relevant. With Heyman showing up and saying what he said and drawing heat and pissing the crowd off like he does, they've kept Lesnar relevant without him being on TV. And they continue to do that while using Heyman. And and who knows where they're going to go with this. I'm sure Triple H and, and Heyman will probably have a confrontation at some point. Um, you know, that he'll be in breach of contract. Um but I I thought it was great. I was psyched to see him. Again, I'm not I wasn't the hugest ECW guy, but I always liked what Heyman could bring to the table. And, um, you know, behind the scenes, the way Heyman would talk about the business, uh, he's a guy who really gets it um, and knows what he's doing and knows how to draw heat. Uh, so I, I think it's it's a great thing for wrestling right now. Um, he needs this mouthpiece. And, you know, going down the road a piece, I mean, who knows? You know, Lesnar was uh, Laurinaitis' guy, and now Heyman comes in as, as Lesnar's representation. Maybe all those guys kind of form a, a little faction. Maybe we see Laurinaitis and Heyman, and then Heyman can carry Laurinaitis a bit as far as the verbiage going on uh, in the ring. Who knows where they're going to go? But you know, to me, bringing Heyman in in whatever capacity they wind up using him uh, is going to be good for wrestling. It's going to be good for TV. Uh, it's going to be good for everyone else involved. So uh, I was kind of but who knows how long we're going to have a, a Paul Heyman uh, in the works uh, and in the WWE. Uh, but I, I'd like to see. I mean, he could help put Lord Tensei over. He could be with uh, Laurinaitis' faction. Who knows? Maybe, like we were talking before with um, you know, how long can they let him be in charge of both shows? What if he just gives SmackDown to Paul Heyman or gives it to someone else? Who knows? Who knows where they're going to go with it? But I really like seeing Paul Heyman in the fold, and they could have him on for a few weeks without Lesnar setting foot in a WWE ring, and Lesnar is still going to be relevant, which is a very, very important thing. What do you guys think about this? Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five. That number again is three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five. Let us know what you think about these things going on in wrestling or anything going on in professional wrestling. Also later on the show we're going to do our nod of approval. Please be sure to check us out there. And give us your nod of approval. And we're also going to talk about we had a Ken Reedy Show poll question. What are the top five factions of all time. So head over to Facebook, uh let us know what your top 5 factions were of all time. We're going to get to that a little later on. So, uh, do you, is there any underestimating the importance that Heyman brings to the table as far as being back into the WWE? Uh
3: no, I don't think there's any underestimating. I think this um you know, it brings a uh, a fresh mouthpiece into the fold. Um, I will have to disagree with you about Heyman and Laurenitis uh joining up. Um, they're two polar opposites. Um, Heyman is a very boisterous um uh brash. He's you know, he's he's he talks a lot and he's got a lot to say and he's very powerful with his words. And if you remember in Monday night's promo, he talked about upper management and how the WWE has changed since he was with the company. And um Loreniz is pretty close to upper management as possible, and considering that Loreniz, in some ways, screwed up that Brock Lesnar deal, even though Hunter, even though Triple H, you know, the COO got involved, and I know that Loreniz had every intention of uh, helping, you know, Lesnar get that quote-unquote contract. Um, the uh, I don't think I, I think Lesnar and Heyman are going to be like an island unto themselves. In, story, in the storylines, I think they're going to kind of be, you know, and then Laurinaitis is Laurinaitis is going to kind of be put to the side. Um, he'll have some involvement, but <clears throat> I don't think it will be much. Um, there's no, there's definitely no underestimating with with Paul Heyman being around, um, and uh, you know, I, I like to consider Paul Heyman the uh, the uh, the David Koresh of professional wrestling. Um, The guy can basically inspire and help guys out in ways that nobody can And he can see something in someone that nobody can see. Um, You know, I've heard stories of guys in ECW years ago. they make 50 to 75 bucks a night, and they're out there practically killing themselves. And they would go to Paul and want a raise and, you know, state their case, and he would, you know, they they go into that, that that meeting with him where they're they're they got all their bullet points that they want to say to him and they're in hopes that they're gonna get what they want and then Heyman will put a different spin on it and then they'll get they'll go out of that meeting and say to themselves, wow I just accomplished absolutely nothing out of this but I'm still gonna go do what he wants me to do, um, you know he'd have got you know he could he, he could inspire a guy to walk out there butt naked you know uh, walk over uh, hot coals if they wanted to. Um, you know, if he wanted them to. That's how that that that's what his words and and, and how he presents himself um, does to a performer. Um, Just so as long him around, as
2: Paul Heyman himself doesn't walk out naked anywhere. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that that's
3: because
2: that, he's that's, disgusting. No,
3: nah, he's not. He's not the. He's not the. You know, I'll say this much: so he's cleaned up somewhat of his appearance in, in years past. But um, I'd like to see him. Uh, uh, Possibly get rid of the ponytail
2: because yeah, um, he, he has not I, aged I, I, well.
3: No, he hasn't. But um, you know that's that's that, that's not what really um, what what defines Paul Heyman is his look, so to speak. It's more of what his, what he can do verbally. Um, so there's no underestimating Paul Heyman and uh, what he's going to bring to this angle. And I could you know I could see. You know, if the, you mentioned a confrontation with him in Triple H, a verbal confrontation. I could see a lot of, uh, uh, you know, art imitating life as far as um, the verbal spats that the two of them could have in the ring. I mean, Paul Heyman was no fan of his wife, Stephanie McMahon, when she got bumped up to the head of creative uh, in, in the WWE because Paul was basically, in 2003, he was the head SmackDown writer. He was coming up with the storylines where, he was, you know, he was a focal point of storylines, but they were good. He was the one that helped come up with the Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle storyline, um, you know, heading into that year's WrestleMania and how he had, you know, the team angle and, you know, him aligning up with big show and their stuff with the undertaker. I mean, and then he got, the ratings were solid. He was doing well. And then all of a sudden they decided to put Stephanie in that position and they bumped Paul out of there. And Paul was basically a character on television solely. So, um, yeah, you know, he's no fan of her, and his exit from WWE uh, last time, which was about six years ago, um, was not a good one. He he didn't really leave the company on the best of terms. Uh, he was writing for the ECW brand, when they were trying to relaunch it, and Vince had his own vision. They had verbal issues and you know verbal you know verbal miscommunication of sorts on how they wanted the brand, and they had that terrible December to Dismember pay-per-view. Um, if you if any of you remember out there and uh it only drew like ninety thousand buy rates and Heyman blames a lot of that on Vince for not letting him put his vision of what ECW is um on WWE television. So uh we could see a lot of art imitating life between the two of them, a lot of, you know, insider terms and stuff. Uh you know, Paul Heyman is the uh, the the pipe bomb originator, so to speak. I could also Amen. see Paul Heyman doing work with CM Punk too. That that's something that wasn't touched on a lot. You know, with CM Punk, him and CM Punk are very close, uh, good buddies. He's actually going to be doing some voiceover work for the CM Punk DVD that's going to come out next year. Um, so uh, I could see some Paul Heyman CM Punk stuff too as well. So having Paul around, there's endless possibilities.
2: That's a good point because eventually you're going to have to have Brock Lesnar going after a belt. Um, it's only it's not going to make any sense for the character if you know at some point he's not going after the strap. And who knows? I mean, I I'm looking for you know going forward you know next pay per view I'm looking for Punk to to retain and to hold on to that, that title. Um, you know who knows who's going to be the guy to to take that off him. Um, but yeah, that would be amazing. Those two guys, uh, and I I like the way you put that the pipe bomb originator, because, uh, uh, Paul Heyman and CM Punk going back and forth at each other on the mic would be absolute TV gold. Uh, that would be an amazing, uh, story arc to, to run into. And it would be I mean, you could, you know, if, if they had the two of them jawing at each other each and every week on raw, it would, it would be great TV. So, uh, that would be something uh, good. Just to uh, grasp for a minute from uh, the Paul Heyman talk, uh, again, some word coming in from uh, Sacrifice, TNA Sacrifice. Gail Kim retains her knockouts championship by defeating Brooke Tesmacher. So Tesmacher, not successful in her quest to win the knockouts. title. and... Uh, I just had to get out my, you know, female wrestling yawn. And it's going on at Sacrifice right now, so another match. So, uh, they were, uh Gail Kim retains, and we have new tag team champions uh, in Kazarian and Christopher Daniels going forward right now in TNA Sacrifice. And back to our Paul Heyman conversation. If you want to give us a buzz, let us know what you think. How important is Paul Heyman? And you know what? Right now we're going to go to the phones. Are you there, caller? Me? Yeah, you. <laughs>
1: I wasn't expected to, to get buzzed in. I was just listening because I'm, I'm at my girlfriend's house. And oh, was just okay.
0: A, it's, it's you got anything me.
1: you want to share with us? Uh, well, I mean, I'm off work, and you know, I was calling when I was uh, getting off of work, and I was like, oh, the show's not starting until 8. What's going on? I oh, forgot TNA was having a pay per view. kind of don't yeah, watch
2: it's the Mother's Day, I figured, you know, give everyone time to have dinner and everything, and then we'll, we'll start the show at 8. I, I see what you did there. I like that. Thank Dig you. It. <laughs> so what do you What do you think of Paul Heyman being back?
1: um, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I was shocked when I saw him come out. I was like, What he's back? It's been six years. it makes sense but um that's <laughs> pretty good it It definitely adds a bit of unpredictability back to the product, which is sorely lacking um, and I don't know. I just wanna see where it goes, like the punk and and Heyman thing that would be great i think heyman you you think if heyman gave Lesnar some pointers, you think he'd be b- he'd be better on the mic or do you think he just isn't a mic person
2: uh, uh dave you, you can hate this I, I i think you know some guys just have it, and some guys just don't and i i I think that Lesnar is quite a specimen i mean he's gotten better on the mic. I think yeah. but I I don't I'll never consider him a, a mic person, so to speak. What do you think, Dave? Um
3: I don't consider if 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 Lesnar's given if Lesnar's given a script and some and something long like that terrible promo he cut during the contract signing, then <laughs> he's not a mic person. But um if you're gonna portray him as like Tough guy, badass. I mean, you know, you watch some of the – granted, there's a, there's editing done, but, you know, if it's short and to the point, like, I'm Brock Lesnar, I get paid money to kick people's asses, and, you know, that's what I enjoy doing for a living, then that works. As long as it's short and to the point and it's not drawn out, like that contract signing promo he did, which he was very redundant, he was repeating himself, it was just – it wasn't good. It sounded like, you know, he was forgetting, you know, some of the things he was supposed to bring out, you know, bring up in the in the in the promo. Um having having Heyman around helps that. Um I don't think that Heyman necessarily gave him point. I mean he could have, who knows? Who knows what you know who knows what the conversations the two of them have had. Um but I think Heyman's been in the fold about the Lesnar return for a long period of time and I think they just waited for the right time to uh to to bring him back. So I, don't, I I I think that the company knew at some point, well, we're going to have to bring Paul back because, you know, there's a, an obvious association from the past with the two. So let's just, you know, run with this right now with Lesnar. And then, you know, when we feel his time, we'll bring him in. And then Heyman could basically do all the verbal. And that's, pro- that's probably what's going to happen going forward.
2: James, were you an ECW guy back in the day?
3: Um,
1: I really wasn't. I really, I tell you the truth, I um, I didn't become a fan until 2000, and that okay. was, I was, mind you, I was like nine years old. The uh, first thing I saw was the Undertaker being chokeslammed slammed through the mat by Kane. That was the first thing I saw, and that hooked wow. me. Yeah. Uh, I, I got I, I got like smack dab in the middle of that to there, not ninety eight, not two thousand two, right in two thousand. And then the first pay per view I saw was SummerSlam two thousand, and it was just simple awesome show.
0: Huh?
3: That was an awesome show. That was one of them. that's a good pay per view to start off, and that was
1: awesome. <laughs> I mean, you, you got Undertaker and Kane. You got Kane's mask get ripped off. You got the Triple Threat for the WWF Championship. Yeah, I'm calling it the F. Okay, if they get mad at me, I'm calling it that's WWE. Right. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> and of course the the match the TLC everyone loved that match the first one,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: didn't go wrong. But I, I wasn't really a fan of the old ECW because I didn't really see much of it. But from the the WWE editing, from what I've seen, it's not it, it's not bad. I wouldn't call old ECW bad because uh, it was it was fairly good. I think. Some of the things that I've seen that I enjoyed were some of uh, Steve Austin's early ECW promos, um, oh, yeah. the Eddie Guerrero Dean Malenko classic, and the match that like no one—I don't know if they don't want to talk about it or if they just forget about it—the uh, match from ECW One Night Stand 2005, uh, Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit. Those are just—that's just what I remember from ECW from various points because I wasn't a big fan of it. I didn't know about it either.
2: Good memories, good memories. So you're you're more of a Paul Heyman WWE kind of guy. So I mean, you said you're surprised are you, are you, he's back.
1: Yeah, it, it was, I was shocked. Well, I was at work and I see I see Paul Heyman. I was like, what? I didn't
2: expect to see him there. But, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it adds definitely a, a certain amount of uh, unpredictability, um, especially you know the run as of late with the, the Rock coming back when. They brought back Lesnar; it was a shock. Um, we heard that he was in Florida, or whatever. They still think they did a good job uh, bringing him back, and when, when they did, and now uh, Heyman. It's it's been a good chunk of time right now to be a, a, a pro wrestling fan. They, they, they're doing things that are keeping your interest.
0: Yeah,
1: they just gotta they just gotta keep that surprise element going because if you if you keep shock value you will keep fans and once it becomes predictable and stale people shy away from it
2: that's a good point thanks a lot for the call i'm glad you're you're off work and enjoy your evening All right, man take, All right, take it easy man. All right. Later, Dave. Hey, brings, bro. brings up a good point there about uh you know the, the unpredictability factor um and that's really where you know it, it's a tough balance for pro wrestling, when you are running a weekly show, and for the WWE, two weekly shows um, to keep that shock value, but not get ridiculous. Um, and, and as much as you know, you go back, and we all love the Attitude Era, and it was a, it was a good time. Uh, but we've talked about it. the Attitude Era had a couple of stinkers too. I mean, and at times in the Attitude Era, it seemed like you know. They almost like they they got too much. We have to shock people. This we have. What are we going to do to shock people? Oh, let's let's have another bikini contest, or let's, let's uh you know have May Young give birth to a hand, or you know, it's, you know. It, it kind of became you know to a point where it was too much, where we got to you know just do something purely for shock value. Um But then the WWE went too far in the other direction, and they just got complacent and. There was nothing that was shocking and everything was predictable and it was just kind of, you know, plugging away. So it's, when you're running a weekly live show and you're trying to, you know, garner interest and there's no off nights, very difficult to find that balance of stability but shocking the audience at times as as well. well what do you think about that?
3: Yeah, um, you know, Obviously, like you can't really. I mean, I would have preferred. I mean, the Heyman. It's tough. Like with the Heyman return, I mean, it was it was done in the right place with the way the story was going. Um, it got a decent reaction. I mean, I you know obviously it doesn't really translate well to television if you're there live. Um, and from what I've read that. Some people in the audience didn't even know who he was. Um, they knew Brock Lesnar because his music came on, but they they didn't like. I read a report, like some a fan report from well attending Raw. I think it was in Greensboro, North Carolina. I was in Greensboro on Monday night, and uh, somebody in the audience, like a kid, saw the Brock Lesnar music and thought like some stranger. They didn't even know who this guy was. Just like randomly came out, like they maybe thought it was like a commercial break or something.
2: <laughs> Some guy, guy from the crowds running out.
3: Yeah, like they, and then like somebody had to smarten the kid up and say, "No, that's Paul Heyman. He used to run ECW. He was, oh, that guy. Oh, that's him." And then he got on the microphone and did his thing, you know, like. Um, so I mean, so it, to me, like I look at it like a return like that. Yeah, it was done in at the right moment. But I think the setting and the place, like if you put it in like a bigger city for people that knew who Paul Heyman was, like if he did it in Philadelphia, the whole place would have went crazy.
0: Oh these, yeah. You
3: know, you know what I mean. If he did it in the Northeast, in like New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, hell, even here in Connecticut, you know, it would it would have gotten it would have gotten a pretty good reaction. You know, Greensboro, North Carolina is a Southern wrestling town. You know, they they ran you know NWA Jim Crockett Promotions for for years. Um, but that shock the shock value, yeah, it 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 has gotta work at the right time. You can't just do it for the sake of doing it because it's not gonna be shock value anymore. It's gonna be it's gonna be, you know, repetitive and done over and over again. Um so with the Heyman thing it worked out nicely. Um but I, I to me like I thought like the, the the reaction on television just felt flat. Um yeah, I, I, think think
2: was, know, I mean maybe that was done on purpose though. Maybe you know, let let's you know, give me WWE creative a little bit of credit. You know, if you're going to try to establish this guy as as a heel and as a, a you know bona fide representation of a guy who who potentially could be the number one heel wrestler at least in in the company, um, who's got a part time schedule, if he comes out in Philly or Connecticut or New York, man, the crowd is going to pop. And no matter what he says, the crowd is going to love him. And the reaction you're going to get on TV is loving fan adornment for this guy. So even the people who don't know him, who are watching Monday Night Raw, even though he's being a dick, they're watching TV thinking, oh, but everyone loves this guy. You do it in North Carolina... And you got some people maybe that don't know him, maybe some people who don't like who know him and don't like him. Not as popular down there. Um, he can come out there, kind of badmouth the crowd right away, get those boots, to establish his character as being a, a bona fide heel. And that's not to say once he gets up in the Northeast, he's not going to get cheered. He is going to get a huge pop. But to establish the character, it may have worked better for them to debut it. Uh, in North Carolina, rather than doing it in the Northeast. But I guess we're just saying that the reaction wasn't this, wow, oh my God, Paul Heyman was back. It did seem like some people didn't really know who exactly uh, this guy was. But Heyman being Heyman, and as good as Heyman is, um, I think he did a really good job at coming out there and just establishing his character as I represent Brock Lesnar. And calling yeah. out the, the the crowd for not treating Brock Lesnar with the respect that he deserves. Um, yeah. Brilliant at the promos, and and that's you know. And James brought up you know, would Brock Lesnar ever be a Mike guy? Um, I agree with what you're saying. I think Brock's a guy. You know, keep it short, keep it simple, and you know, almost. I mean, he's like he's a he's a fucking caveman. I mean, you know. Me big, me hit people, me hate you, me bring pain. That works for Brock Lesnar. I mean, keep it simple for that guy. But when I think of a guy who is a Mike guy, you could tell Paul Heyman nothing about the storyline, nothing about anything. Give him a mic and push him through the curtain and say, I'd just be entertaining. And he'll figure it out. He'll get down there and figure it out. And there's very few guys that can do that. Or Ric Flair. Go do something. He'll figure it out. Um, even to a certain extent, i see Punk, you know, a newer guy, but, you know, he's a guy that, to me, you can push that guy out there and say, hey, get the crowd off, and he'll do it. He'll figure out a way. Those are guys I look at as Mike guys, guys that don't even need need to know what the story is. They'll figure out a way once they get out in that ring. Uh, other guys are good the mic, but they, they need something. And then there's a guy like Lesnar that – it really falls hard on WWE creative to make sure they put him in a place to succeed and they give him short and sweet promos. Like you said, the video package was great because they didn't let him talk that much and they edited well. So it all worked out together. Uh, you know, there are guys like that. I think John Cena is kind of fall in that category. You got to put John Cena in a position to succeed. Uh you, know, you come out, at WWE Creative is, you know, cool with him coming out and making those corny jokes, like, someone's got to stop up and say, you know, that doesn't work. You know, you get your ass beat, don't come out on Monday night and make a corny joke. Uh, you got to put, I think, Intense Cena. Intense Cena, Pissed Off Cena, works in a promo. Goofy, Smiling Cena does not work. So, it, it does fall on Creative, um, so make a long story longer, or a long point more long-winded. Um, Lesnar's not a Mike guy, Brock, uh, but Paul Heyman totally is, and I don't think Paul Heyman, as he is, could ever make Lesnar a Mike guy. And with that being said, we're going to take a break now and get into the 50-50 news update. Dave, take it away.
3: Day five stories of the week in professional wrestling. This week, Our first report comes out at TMZ.com when they have stated that WWE superstar John Cena had filed for divorce from his longtime high school sweetheart, Liz Huberdow, stating that the marriage is irreparably broken. Cena and his former bride had signed a prenuptial agreement prior to their wedding in 2009, stating if a divorce were to come into play, that John Cena had the legal right to take back any and all gifts that Mrs. Cena had received. Reports from various media outlets this week go on record stating the couple was experiencing trouble in their marriage over differences regarding the remodeling of their home in Tampa, Florida. Whether that be the case or not, Cena recently approached his wife with a pre-divorce financial settlement, to which he declined to sign, which then forced him to serve her with divorce papers. All of this has now prompted Liz Hubert Alcina to hire prominent attorney Raymond Rafool, who has also represented Linda Hogan in her divorce from famous Hall of Fame wrestling icon Hulk Hogan. With the news of Raymond Rafool representing Mrs. Cena and the news of the reported $18 million that Mr. Cena is worth, this divorce is bound to get ugly. Our next report comes from TNA as a former Strike Force light heavyweight champion, King Mo Lowell, has signed a deal to wrestle for TNA Wrestling. Lowell was let go by UFC recently and had publicly stated that he has a love for professional wrestling and would enjoy working with Hulk Hogan. King Mo also signed a deal with Bellator Fighting Championship, which will begin airing on Spike TV next year. Lowell is expected to begin working with TNA this summer. Breaking news coming from last night's Ring of Honor Border Wars Internet pay-per-view. Fans who had purchased and subscribed to the event had trouble logging in to view the event, stating the high traffic of customers on the website. Ring of Honor officials went on record to state that they made major upgrades to the site, increasing server memory times three and doubling the processing power. Ring of Honor is offering refunds as well as full retention of last night's event to those who ordered the event, as well as next month's. Best in the World event on June 24th to those who purchased Border Wars last evening. WWE Hall of Famer Stone Cold Steve Austin has been announced as the host of a new reality TV series titled Redneck Island. The series will feature 12 Americans from the South on a tropical island in Mexico competing in a series of competitions for the prize of $100,000. The 10 episode series has been picked up by the CMT Network. No word on when the show will air, but it should make for some interesting TV with a title like Redneck Island. And our final story of the day five this week comes from Chicago, Illinois. The wife of WWE superstar David Otunga, Grammy award-winning artist Jennifer Hudson, was in court this week to testify against her former brother-in-law, William Balfour, for the shooting deaths of Darnell Donerson, Jason Hudson, and Julian Hudson, family members of Hudson. The jury reached a verdict on Friday of guilty on all counts and is expected to sentence Mr. Balfour to life in prison. O'Tuga was with Hudson in the courtroom when the verdict was read. He has not appeared on WWE programming since the trial began. One can only assume that the company did the right thing by letting him appear with Hudson during the trial. And in some indie news, Northeast Wrestling is running a benefit show for independent wrestler Ron Zombie in Waterbury, Connecticut at the Waterbury Police Athletic League on June 2nd. All proceeds to the event are going to go to helping Ron recover from uh, an ACL surgery that he had suffered at a Northeast Wrestling show in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, last month. Appearing on that show will be the Boogeyman, uh, Brian Anthony, Matt Taven, Bull Dread, and many more. And that's your day five top stories in the week of professional wrestling. Ken, let's get it back to you.
2: Thank you. Good report. I love it. Yeah, a lot of news going on this week in wrestling and, and news that was like out of the real world, which is, uh, you know, interesting stuff. Good stuff. Good report. And just to let you guys know, a report coming in um, on Twitter. Christopher Daniels just tweeted. As the new face of At Impact Wrestling and half of your new tag team champions, I hate to say I told you so, but no strike that I love it. So Christopher Daniels putting out there tweeting about being the new tag team champions. Tonight at Sacrifice. Give us a call. Uh, Let us know about some Sacrifice. Let us know what you think. 347-838-9815. If you want to email me, email me, ken at the Kenreadyshow.com. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash the And show. Follow us on Twitter at the show. Uh, so many things going on. Just to reiterate what we were talking about at the top of the show, um, this, uh, not this week, but coming up on June 11th. June 11th is a big day for the Ken Reedy show. Uh, we'll be doing I'll be doing a live broadcast from the Peppermill South in Congers, New York. Again, the name of the bar is the Peppermill South. Congers, New York, on Lake Road in Congers. Um, I will be doing a broadcast live from there. It's kind of a pregame to the special three hour edition of WWE's Monday Night Raw. Uh the Peppermill South has agreed to have Monday Night Raw uh, on with the sound on, so it's going to be you can come out, listen to the Ken Reedy show, and then hang out for some food and some drink and watch some professional wrestling. And at the same time, my co-host, my tag team partner Dave, will be out Hartford Hartford uh, getting the vibe of uh, what it's like out there, getting his, his fingers on the pulse of the WWE crowd out there in Hartford. Um, and if any news breaks out there in Hartford, he'll be sure to get that into us, so 6 to 8, live at the Peppermill South. Come on down. And if you can't meet us in Hartford or at the Peppermill South, be sure to just plug in your computer, turn on blog, talkradio.com, slash the Ken Show. Listen to us and give us a call in that night so we can talk about pro wrestling and what you think Monday Night Raw will uh, entail. Also, if you have a a pen, a marker, and a big piece of paper, Make a sign with Ken Reedy's show on it. If that sign gets on camera at any event, uh, SmackDown, Impact, Monday Night Raw, we'll send you out a free Ken Reedy show T-shirt. We're going to be running this contest while supplies last. So make your Ken Reedy show signs. Uh, hold them up. If we get them on camera, um, we will send you out a T-shirt. Also, just you know, if you go to an indie show, or, well, you know what, even if you go to a house show, if uh, you can take a picture with the sign in the arena, uh,
5: maybe with a ring
2: in the background holding the sign aloft, send the picture, post it on our Facebook page. We'll send you out a t shirt. So uh, get your Ken Show signs up and running, and uh, we'll send you out a t shirt if we see them. Uh, let's go to the Facebook page. Uh, this week, the TKRS poll was to rank the top five factions. Of all time, top five factions. We haven't had a real good faction in a long time. But I was watching the Legends Roundtable on WWE Classics, and I just found myself in a faction sort of mood. So I asked the question. Uh, Joe Mikos responded, and he told us that, he, number one, Four Horsemen. Number two, Evolution. Number three, Natural Born Flurs. Number four was Bruderschaft de Cruzes. Number five, the NWO. Uh, Dave Selinsky also wrote uh, Four Horns, number one. Number two, NWO. Number three, the Dangerous Alliance. Number four, DX. Number five, the Legion of Doom. It was originally an alliance. Um, so those are our thoughts on the factions. Dave, you answered this question. Why don't we talk about this a little bit? What were your top factions of all time?
3: Um, my top factions were all time were uh, number one, uh the four horsemen an obvious pick um number two the original n w o um, not the uh the other twenty five versions of the group that had you know gone on to uh you know prominence in later years um number three d x and uh you know there, there's there's I, both ver- the the original version of Shawn Michaels and Hunter when they had Rick Rude in China, I thought that was great. And then even when Hunter had X Pac and the New Age Outlaws joined, I thought that was good too. Um, I liked both those versions. The version that they've shown you know the past few years with Hunter and Shawn, yeah, it could be kind of funny at times, but not really. So I didn't include that version in there. Number four, I picked uh, the uh, the Fabulous Freebirds. Um Michael Hayes, uh, Terry Gordy, and uh, Buddy Roberts from uh, World Class Championship Wrestling. And number five, the New Hart Foundation. Bret Hart, Owen Hart, uh, the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, Jimmy Neville-Nighthart, and Brian Tillman. Those are my top five factions of all time.
2: Definitely a a very good list there. It's interesting with with DX. I I, I do feel like that DX, uh, and and it's funny because DX, you know, the WWE holds all the cards, and I do feel like looking back, sometimes uh, history is, is a bit skewed. And it's funny; I, I do feel like they don't really embrace the DX faction aspect uh, when they look on things. Almost, I mean, if you didn't, um, if you didn't watch back then, you just kind of watch TV now, you'd almost think the DX was always just a tag team um, with just Hunter and, and Shawn. Um, I liked the the faction. I liked after Sean left. I thought DX was very entertaining when it was uh, Triple H and uh, China Road Dog, Billy Gunn, and hell, what the hell uh, was the X-Pac at that point, Six X-Pac, one whatever the hell he was calling himself. Um, I enjoyed that as well. But uh, yeah, I hated when they brought DX back. I, I, I just thought it was awful. I, I you know, the Born Again Sean Michaels, uh, you know, not wanting to see all the. the the dirty stuff or the sexual stuff, just it was it was really weak. I mean, you can't do DX effectively uh, in a PG era, so uh, I, I didn't really like it at all when they brought it back. Only a really entertaining faction in its prime. Um, it's I'm glad you put the Heart Foundation because uh, I don't think that's really looked at either. I, I we've talked about it before on the show. I think that a uh, underrated storyline looking back historically. Uh, that whole arc when uh Brett and his faction were heels in America and faces all over the world was some of the most brilliant wrestling you will ever see uh just very talented individuals involved in the storyline and uh very very original storyline It was just uh, really well done all around uh and and they were they brought a lot of different people into the mix, and I thought that was really a great time to be a wrestling fan. Um, as far as we just got another, Steve Ma- McMackie just wrote in, and he wrote, number one, Four Horsemen, number two, NWO, number three, DX, number four, Hart Foundation, number five, Dangerous Alliance. So it seems pretty dead on that everyone uh, is, is putting the Four Horsemen as um the number one faction. There's part of me that like agrees with and part of me feels like I should just be different and say the NWO was was the the best faction ever. Um you know it's tough, it depends on how you want to look at the faction thing. Um as a wrestling fan, as as someone if I just said how I enjoyed it and, and watching. Now granted right, I was a little older when I was when the NWO was was in effect, um I probably enjoyed the NWO more than I enjoyed the Four Horsemen. There I said it. I'll put it out there. What, you can't criticize the Four Horsemen? Is it sacrilege? Blah, whatever. Um, I got a lot of respect, obviously, for the Four Horsemen. I'm debating, like, 1-1-A. Um, the NWO was just one of those phenomenons that, you know, I mean, Hogan was on the cover of TV Guide in his NWO shirt. Um, the NWO took over mainstream media more than the horsemen ever did uh non-wrestling fans were were into the the nwo more than i think the horsemen were ever able to to cross over um and i agree with you the way the nwo was originally constituted the nwo probably could have ran for a while if they didn't screw the pooch and at one point in time there was over 30 members uh, of the nwo and there weren't many guys uh, in WCW that were not member of the NWO at some point in their career, uh, so it it got out of hand, and that's part of the, part of the problem. With factions is that they they kind of run their their limit, and then you know it's like they don't know what to do with them. Um, one one faction, and it's interesting that Joe Mikos put it second, Evolution, underrated faction, and it, it was short lived, but in my opinion and and I'd like to hear what you think Dave evolution never got bad
3: no evolution wasn't bad um but you but evolution you know was basically a concept that was set up by Triple H you know in in uh, you know backstage you know story news um where he wanted to bring the past the present and the future and have them all together and it was it was you know Similar to the Four Horsemen um, It was good, there were parts of it that I liked But every time I saw them come out I just thought, especially with Ric Flair being The, Ric Flair had like the J.J. J. Dillon role Of sorts, of that group, you know And Hunter was the Ric Flair of that group And, uh, you know um, But every time, you know, I saw Evolution I just thought, well, it's you know I mean, I liked it, I didn't have a problem with it But I just thought, that's a poor man's version Of the Four Horsemen and I understand that Hunter, being the mark that he is for Ric Flair, and you know he's he's got a lot of you know wrestling. He's a he's a he's a big mark just wrestling in general. You know what I mean? He grew up watching the Horseman. He idolized Ric Flair. Um, that you know he wanted to do this, and good for him, dream come true. He got to work with his idol, and they got to do something similar like the Four Horsemen. And I thought I, I thought it was good. It worked. It you know they they ran up against guys like you know McFoley at one time, The Rock. Um, you know, Shawn Michaels, Chris Benoit, Goldberg, uh, you know, Kevin Nash, I mean, Jericho, uh, Edge, I mean, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they they, they drew heat. And it was, and like I said, there wasn't anything bad about it, but you put them in the same category with the four horsemen, it's just like, it's it's like leaving Kansas, the black and white of Kansas, and going, you know, into color where there's, you know, in, in odds. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... I, I can't put them in the same. I can't put them on the same list as far as like you know greatest factions of all time. They were good, but I would give them an honorable mention as, as, a, as a good faction, but definitely not in the top five. Especially if you got the Four Horsemen. And you know the, the point you make, I could agree to some extent about the N.W.L. How they you know kind of helped usher in wrestling into the mainstream media. But if it wasn't for the Four Horsemen, there would have been no such thing as the N.W.L. In my personal opinion. And and at that time, wrestling, you know, you also got to think, there were two different time periods. Back in the 80s, wrestling was looked at, you know, was frowned upon against, you know, uh, the, the mainstream media, um, especially, you know, the, the Jim Crockett promotions in the NWA. And the Horsemen were, uh, you know, you had four angles, three to four different storylines that could easily main event a show And, you know, and and draw a pay-per-view or a big super card or whatever just with one group in the Horsemen. And the the, the beauty of that whole storyline is is that that was all done by accident. They had to pair all those guys up to do local television market interviews to hype up three or four matches. And they had all done tag matches in the past on television with each other. And there was a a known association with Flair and the Andersons um, on television but they were never really a group, they were never really a faction. They just kinda like teamed up from time to time to uh, you know, sell out some you know, some some uh some some live events. And then when Arn Anderson just kinda said, you know, never in the history of four guys ever, you know, just you know, ever come together and were the you know, the four horsemen is it like it's similar to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, something along those lines he said. And Tony Shimani went up to him and said, You just caught on to something. And it wasn't like a booker or, or 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 the promoter of the company said, We're gonna put you all together. That was all done by accident, and then they were like, Oh, we got something. So that's the beauty of it with the horsemen. You know? And and that's what and, and I think also too there's like they were all good workers. You know, the first incarnation had Flair, Arn, Oli and Tully. and they they dumped Oli and they put Luger in there. And they put Lex Luger in there to give him some credibility. And then Luger didn't work because they knew it would draw more money if Luger was against them because he had that baby face look. So they put Barry Windham in there, and that, didn't, granted, that that group got inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, this past year at WrestleMania. But to me, in my opinion, that was the best group because they could all work, and they could all draw money, and they all, drew, you know, they they all drew tremendous amounts of heat, and they could work with just about anybody, and it made for a good show. You had three to four possible main event matches on the card. And that's why, in my opinion, I think all around the horsemen are number one. But I could agree with your point about the NWO completely.
2: Well, the, the, I mean, and the thing with the NWO is that the NWO really, I mean, again, like my my feeling on, on the WWE and, and how they, um, you know, how they view history and, and they view the Attitude Era. The NWO did so much to... Changed the entire landscape of professional wrestling. Um, oh, I don't disagree with you on that. I don't at all. So I, I think you know again, and it, it's funny. I mean, you can go back and forth, and I do think that with with wrestling fans, it's you know it's almost sacrilege to say that the four horsemen weren't. And I get that. And the four horsemen are you know were incredible, and in, and in what they did, you know, uh, who how they could put other guys over, um, you know, how they're able to work and what flair said on the uh the the uh, factions episode which was a, which is a good point um you know he and the four horsemen concentrated on putting other guys over and that was what they prided themselves on is is making stars uh whereas um the nwo was more concerned about putting themselves over um which was probably part of the downfall of of the nwo um because eventually uh, you know, I mean a good heel, you know, may want to take over something, may want to destroy something, whatever the case that they're gonna do. Um, you know, but once they do it, then we go from there. And they essentially took over WCW, um, which now what? Uh which is really what, what hurt the NWO um a lot because they, they basically took over the, the entire company. Uh, but that original run when the NWO started, man, was one of my favorite times to be a pro wrestling fan. So, you know, I, I'm gonna put the NWO with a slight edge over the Four Horsemen. Um, I don't know. The top five would be interesting because uh, after that I start, just thinking like, oh, uh, how many? I don't know how many factions I really um, got into. I get probably the, the Hart Foundation because I love that that storyline right there and, and how that went. Um, I don't know where I'd go from there, honestly. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I was thinking about uh, evolution, but your point about being a cut-rate uh, horseman, uh, definitely a valid point. Uh, curious, what do you think the worst faction of all time is? The worst faction? <laughs> Let me start my list. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right, well, I could go into uh, – do you remember the union – they were the guys that were... I in the was going to
2: say that. That's awesome. I remember the, the union.
3: Ken you know what's funny? I thought that had, had a little bit
2: of potential. When the union started, I thought there was a little bit of potential because I was like, that's awesome. They're just coming out with two-by-fours and, like, we're, we're we're taking this shit back. But it, it just... It was bad.
0: That That's one of them. I could go on and say that...
3: Oh, Christ. There's There's... The Dungeon of Doom. Oh, my God. How could you not put that in the worst faction category? <laughs> that was ter- the. I mean, the vignettes, that the, the, you know, they'd have, like, I remember they had a vignette where, like, it was a clash of champions. And I forget where it was. But Hogan was in the arena, and he was advertised. He showed up in the arena and cut a promo, and then he was advertised later on in the show to confront Kevin, the taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, and I—I I forget the guy's name. He was—he was a manager for Kamala in the early WWF days. He, he was called the father of the Dungeon of Doom. That fat bald guy that just sat in a chair. He didn't even move. I was wondering even if he had legs because they click showed him from the waist up. Um, <laughs> but and then like I—I I remember watching a, a YouTube video just recently um, about it. And, uh, like, it was, like, worst, like, you know, angles or storylines of all time. And they put that in there. So, like, they show Hogan, like, going through, like, this, like, smoky, like, tunnel. And then all of a sudden, he pops out. And they got, like, this stupid, like, you know, sound effects. Like, he just broke through the wall. And, like, he hits the ground. He's got dust on his bandana. And he's like, where am I, brother? And then all of a sudden, it's like... <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like, Hogan! And, like, and then they, like, confront each other, and then, like, they got this face-to-face, and there's, like, smoke, and, you know, they look like they're, like, in this cave. I'm like, like, that's fucking terrible. Like, Earthquake was in it. He was the shark. You know, Kamala, they had, they had, uh... Who else? Uh, Brutus Beefcake was the Zodiac at yes. one time. I mean, the only good thing that came out of that was Giant, who ended up becoming the big show. Um, other than that, like, I mean, that was just terrible. Like, I can't even, I can go on all day about how fucking piss poor that was. That, that was the a, job was... squad, the job squad, do you remember that? Al Snow? I do, yes. Al Snow, the Al blue meaty, too cold Scorpio. I forget who else was in that, but it was a bunch of guys that the company didn't give a shit about, so they put them all together and said, we're just going to pretend you're a bunch of losers. So,
0: (laughs) I mean,
2: that's one of them. We got a phone call. Oh, all right. Go for it. Yeah, I apologize. Are you there, caller?
4: Hey, I'm here. Hey, how are you guys doing? What's up? Um, Well, I I was calling about the factions. I have two things. One thing I just wanted to say um, about the Ken's pick of the NWO. I, I was a fan later in life, so I came in right after the NWO era. However, I knew it existed because they were a very popular mainstream, quote unquote mainstream, um, faction at the time. I remember seeing T-shirts before I even knew what it knew what it was. So I, I can give you a little credit on that one. And they have a kick-ass logo, especially the uh, the Wolfpack <laughs> one in red. I think that's pretty pretty cool. I've, I've seen that that somewhere else though. I, I don't know where.
2: <laughs> I mean, who knows, man? I, 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 it is a hot logo, though.
4: Um. Anyway, but but getting getting into the the worst factions. Um. When this question was posed recently, the first faction that popped into my head was the Spirit Squad. So a moment later, oh, yeah. reflect. Yes, reflect on the Spirit Squad um but as as i i I said it after I was thinking about it, and actually they were discussing it on on the uh the round table uh some agree and some disagree. if you think about what they were for the time period i mean they were they were the worst faction to me because they're male cheerleaders i mean wrestling and male cheerleaders, but if you really think about who was in it and 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 individually wrestling talent that they came together and they were a pretty strong group for a time period. And, you know, they were in WrestleMania, they were hanging with the big dogs, you know, with Mr. McMahon and, and the DX at the time. Um, so I just wanted to see your thoughts on that and I'll let you go. You can talk about it. Um, do you think that they were definitely the worst, or do you think that they actually were, were good at the role that they did?
2: It's a good question. And, and thank you for the call. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and it brings up what, what I spoke about in the beginning with, with John Laranis. Um, well, yeah, male cheerleaders, uh, you're not going to get into, but they had some guys who could work, and there was nothing cool about them. As we talk about, and, you know, the four horsemen were probably the first guys to really do this, but it didn't catch on. Uh, it didn't change the business like the NWO and DX did years later and Stone Cold Steve Austin. But, you know, when heels started being cool and people started cheering heels and, and you know, the 90s kind of changed the business a, a lot. Um, there was nothing cool about Spirit Squad. There was nothing that any wrestling fan could get into with them. And as far as being the foil... Uh, for DX, um, what their purpose was, they kind of worked, and I don't know if I would put them in some of the worst factions. Because to me, a, a bad faction is a faction that just doesn't work uh, for what they were and the purpose they were supposed to serve. I don't know. Like I, I mean, I'm not going to say they're one of the best, but for a chunk of time, they served a purpose. Dave, what do you think?
3: Well, on paper, if I were a wrestling fan and Vince McMahon were to come up to me and say, hey, listen, we're going to do this faction, this stable, and they are going to be a bunch of male cheerleaders, and they're going to jump on trampolines and do cheers and cartwheels and flips and all that bullshit, I'd look at it before I even saw it and say, that's going to fucking suck, and the people are going to hate it. But them doing all that stuff got a reaction from the people, and it was a negative one, and it drew heat. And you bring up a good point about being a good foil to DX at the time. I mean, they bumped for those guys like Crazy. They made Hunter and Sean look, you know, invincible. And there were some guys that were very athletic in the group, and I remember that they were trying to groom, I think, Kenny, as to be like the big breakout star of the group, and that didn't work out. And look where they all are now. The only one left out of that group is a man by the name of Dolph Ziggler. And – so if anything, you could say that the Spirit Squad took a guy, you know, somebody out of that group and made him into a, a star, so to speak, with Dolph Ziggler. Um, I wouldn't put it as the worst, for 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 uh, for sure. I wouldn't. It definitely doesn't go as the worst. But I mean, the cheering and all that stuff, like it drew like instant negative reaction. The people didn't like it, and the more they did it, the people didn't like it, and the more money that the people paid to see DX. Take them out and it also helped too That that faction was aligned with Vince Right right from the beginning because if they were On their own and they went after DX Without Vince's you know You know uh, stamp of approval Then I don't think the people would have bought it But because they were with Vince and Vince Wanted to get rid of DX completely Then it worked You know that they, they were like okay well If Vince is, got, if, if Vince is uh, giving His approval of these guys then they must be Something serious and that's why people paid to GM to get their advocate. So it worked for but it wasn't something that was gonna be able to run long term either. That's the other thing too with factions that you gotta you gotta take into account. They gotta be able to run for a good amount of time, something that, you know, could last for not forever, but for a long period of time in wrestling. And the Spirit Squad, you knew going into it that it wasn't going to be anything that was gonna be anything more than six months and uh it's definitely not the worst, but it's not the greatest either. It's it's one of those middle of the road factions that works for a time period, and uh, you know, and, it, and it's there to serve a purpose to to get other guys over and to you know help you know develop uh, stars. And they did that with Dolph Ziggler, and look where Dolph Ziggler is now. He's he's got a decent spot on the roster. He's well known, um, you know, and he's a great in ring hand. So I think I think if anything, the Spirit Squad is a positive for for Dolph Ziggler.
2: Well, yeah, and it definitely uh, you know it, it worked for what it was, and you're right. I mean, it was nothing that could go uh, that long, and it's kind of it, it. I guess it would be one of those things uh, where it'd be a middle of the road faction. I wouldn't put it up there as, as one of the best of all time either. Um, I do think some fans would like snap to judgment and say, "Oh, Spirit Squad is one of those factions." But um, like you said, when you talk about uh, other factions that that you put in the list of of worst it's because the faction didn't work that there was no purpose to it uh, that it didn't fit in in the storyline uh, the spirits had worked and and there was no like i said before there was nothing cool about them there was nothing cool about them there was nothing that anybody could get into and and that's uh, that's been a problem in wrestling for a long time that you know guys are you know the heels are are kind of cool i mean even look nowadays i mean a guy like a guy like the miz who is is a heel but you know what he's got you know i'm the miz i'm awesome which is you know the crowd can chant with uh he's got his his trendy suits that he can wear he's got his his trendy haircut um he does a lot that can garner some fandom some some people who are going to cheer for this uh, which is not what you you want out of your heel. so uh Something like the Skirt Squad, there was nothing cool about them. There was nothing cool about them, uh, which worked really well. So thank you for the call. But, yeah, I wouldn't put them as one of the worst, wouldn't put them as one of the best, but definitely very, very effective um, for what they were at the time. So why don't you give us a call, let us know what you think, Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five. The number, again, is 347 347- Eight three eight nine eight one five. Let us know what you think about the wonderful world of professional sling. And going forward, we have a sacrifice going on right now. And, uh, next week we have over the limit, WWE over the limit. Uh, what match are you looking forward to most, uh, going into over the limit, Dave?
0: Um,
3: I'm looking for, you know what? I wasn't really looking forward to much, um, I mean the card seems very intriguing. I was looking forward to Punk and uh, Bryan a lot, and I still am. But now I'm looking forward to the four way match um, that was just made on Monday. It was originally Sheamus and Del Rio, and I was looking forward to that match too, if it was just a straight up single. But now they added uh, Orton and Jericho to the mix, and uh, I think it's going to be an exciting match between the four of those guys. And I think we're going to see. Um, I think we're going to see. Uh, you know. I think Sheamus is going to retain. I think we're going to see something spawn off with uh, Jericho and Orton. And I think it's, uh, you know, good timing on creative's part to throw the two of them in there um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jericho's contract runs out shortly before SummerSlam. He's going to be doing some dates with Fozzie and, uh, you know, going going back on the road with his band. Um, the rumor is is that after those dates are over in the fall, he should return right around the time of Survivor Series and resume his WWE schedule. Um, I think Jericho's going to get the uh, the Roddy Piper schedule where he'll just come and go and do spots for a few months and not be a full-time guy on television, which doesn't bother me because it, 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 it you know, keeps the character fresh at the same time, gives the guy a break on the road um, from being on the road in wrestling. Um and the other reason, too, is is that if you remember, the last time Jericho left WWE it was because of Randy Orton. And, you know, Jericho made a mention in his return that the reason why he came back, one of the main reasons why he came back was to go after the title and to prove that he's the best in the world um, over Punk. And that didn't work out. And being the heel that Jericho is... Um, you know, they could spawn something off with of him and Orton where he could say, you know, another reason why I came back to the WWE was to exact my revenge on you, Randy Orton. And then they could show the video clip when Orton punted him in the head and he was stretched out. and We hadn't seen him on TV for almost two years. So um, I think we could see something big. And I think Orton deserves a, a good program like that because, you know, he kind of got saddled with Kane, who isn't a bad worker. But um Orton's kinda of been saddled with uh, you know, not being in a top feud and he hasn't really been in a top feud since uh probably since his run with the world title last year. So um putting him in there with a guy like Jericho, there's unlimited amounts of potential for there to be good matches out of the two. And I think it would kinda of bring everything full circle with Jericho's return and his eventual exit from the company if Orton were to take him out again. And maybe Jericho comes back in the fall or even at next year's WrestleMania and they do something with him and Orton. And I think, you know, it would, like I said, it will definitely, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, help Orton out. And, um, and uh, you know, he, he, like I said, he's been saddled with, uh, you know, just kind of like mid-card kind of feuds. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, the interesting thing
2: I, about this, this match, and I'm looking forward to it too, because I, I thought the tag match on Monday night was amazing. I thought it was a great match. It was a great setup, uh, the way they they put it all together. I I really enjoyed it. And the crowd was hot for the match. Um, I I, I think you're right, spawning off into uh, Jericho and Orton would definitely be a a good way to go. And, you know, if Sheamus doesn't retain, this is a weak title run, a really weak title run. So I would agree with you. I I think he's got to retain. The title run didn't start off as, well, we liked it. But all the fans were not crazy about the match at WrestleMania. Yes! Um, yes! <laughs> yes! So uh um I'm look I'm thinking Seamus is gonna wind up retaining the title in this match as well. The interesting thing I- I'm looking at with this pay-per-view is creative is really setting up punk versus Bryan. Uh to have Cena in a match against Laurenitis. The other title match is not a one on one. It's a fatal four way that they are really Focusing the the pay per view on Daniel Bryan and CM Punk and those two guys they can go but they got to deliver they got to deliver this but this is the pay per view if these two guys are gonna like really put on their A plus plus match this is the pay per view that they got to do it this is the night for them uh, they're setting things up where they can be as a wrestling fan now I don't know if that's gonna be the, the main event match they may very well still go with John Cena Laurinaitis but Uh, To me, the spotlight as a wrestling fan is squarely on that match, being a one-on-one match with two former ROH guys, two guys that you know wrestling fans really want to see go at it. So um, the focal point is on them. We're going to go back out to the phones. Caller, are you there?
0: Uh, Yeah, listen. Randy Orton, this is all you need to know about him. He can't like him as a good guy, so he stinks as a good guy. He already hate him, so he's not a good bad guy to so just fun to hate him. And I just got two words for Mister Rand- Randy Orton: word to your mother.
2: <laughs> Thanks for that's, the call. That, that, <laughs> um, that's
0: four
3: words,
2: and is that the guy?
3: With the, <laughs> that, that's four words. and is that the guy with the ransom note
2: again
0: from a couple of months back?
2: I, I think with it the, might have been. Um, not not a Randy Rancho- Orton fan. And, um, you know, again, and in, in the theme of the show a, a bit, like, and we've, we've talked about, this, you know, the the whole heel face thing, which is, you know, yeah, Randy's kind of an interesting character because he's, you know, he's definitely not your traditional face, the way he acts. And he was a heel. Um, and they really didn't, you know, switch him per se as much. Well, it was kind of a... Uh you know a lower level stone cold kind of thing. it was just that the crowd started cheering him more and more, and so they were like, All right, well, the crowd's cheering him, so I guess he's a face now, so personality wise he didn't really change it was just he was wrestling against heels now instead of wrestling against faces, so he became a face and uh it's interesting, I mean, I get it as as a wrestling fan if you're kind of you know, are traditionalist and want your heels to be bad and your faces to be good. Uh, you know, Randy can be, I guess, a tough character to get into.
3: Yeah, um, that was, that 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 turn was done by accident, as you you know, it was pretty much the crowd uh, that that basically turned him. Um, but uh, you know, I, I do I I do agree the babyface run, it's okay, it's not anything to write home about. Um, with him um but he's getting a positive reaction from the people and so they're 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 sticking with it it's selling t-shirts and making money so um you know like i said it's not broke don't fix it but um it's interesting that the crowd was the one you know i mean the crowd has turned guys before you know steve austin being a prime example um uh going from you know being the most hated heel to the most beloved babyface but his character not really changing in a sense um just the fact that he's uh you know facing you know guys you know that are heels uh, um at the at the time but uh you know that was right around WrestleMania 26 and uh he was going into that match with uh Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase you know former legacy um guys and it was basically a glorified handicap match even though they turned it into a triple threat but the rumor was was that Ted DiBiase was supposed to be the big babyface of that match if the crowd didn't turn Orton and they were going to set up Ted DiBiase being like one of the next big stars so uh Ted DiBiase could thank the WWE universe for his lack of a push because uh you know he's, his character and his uh you know and his stock in the company Has gone, uh, you know, south, and he's the son of the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, (laughs) senior. So, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting where Orton's career has gone now. Not saying his career wasn't going to go anywhere from that match if the crowd didn't turn him, he was still going to be a relevant, uh, you know, performer on television, but, um, yeah, Teddy honest, you can thank all the WWE fans out there for uh why he's on, on uh superstars and NXT or he's not even on television. I think he's hurt right now. So um, Yeah
2: he is. Yeah. Um let's go back out because actually with the uh the call from Mr. Orton hater uh actually got dropped, so he's he's calling us back. So let's let's get him back on the air. Are you there?
0: Yeah, right. I'm here. Just all right. I mean, I said all that needs to be said about Orton. I mean, come on. The guy's a tool. Oh, he's been a tool. And, you know, I don't care about his popularity or his um, sheen line. You know, he is what he is, and that's why he's never really going to get big. I mean, I know. I guess he kind of sold some t- T-shirts. de doo so did scotty too What do
2: you like right now in the the company?
0: Oh, you know, I mean, listen. It's I'm not a personal fan of his, but you know, John Cena, he's the man. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, he's he's loved and hated by all. You know, he's the only one with mic skills, pretty much, besides the Rock, uh, in the company. Uh, he knows how to wrestle. He knows to bring the drama, and that's it. I mean, that's that's the those are the men right now. And Like that's I said, we're to raid the Orton's mother.
2: All right. Thanks a lot for the call. Um, John Cena getting some props uh, for his his mic work. I don't, like, totally agree with that. I think I might go with uh, CM Punk is also pretty good on the mic. But I do agree that I think John Cena gets uh, a little bit too criticized. And his mic skills are not as bad as people want to uh, play it out. But thank you so much for the call. Uh not, not a Randy Orton fan. Not liking Orton. But you know what it's time for, Dave? You there, know what there's all for. Oh, that's right. It's that. <laughs> the, the Ken Show. no. approval. Hey, who are you giving the nod of approval to this week? This
3: week, my nod of approval goes to a woman that I would like to sexually violate on multiple occasions. Her name is Eve. This woman has gone from being a boring, baby-faced diva to drawing some serious heat in the heel, especially now that she's been aligned with um, Mr. Personality himself, John Laurinaitis. Um, when they started the Zack Ryder storyline with her and she, uh, she, she kind of, you know, uh, befriended him and he he didn't really know where it was going. And then she basically dumped him. Um, You know, it it drew a a large amount of heat because, uh, you know, Zach Ryder had begun to, uh, you know, come up on the rise with fans and his popularity and his stock was growing in the company um, amongst uh, the audience. And, uh, you know, it's it, Especially during the Attitude Era, hot girls and the sex appeal, everybody cheered that. How could you boo a hot chick? You know what I mean? And nowadays, it's hard for hot girls to draw heat as, like, unless they say something like that, you know, like something to the crowd that's going to really get them to turn, like, for the most part, they can stand there and look hot and, you know show a little skin, and everyone's going to jump out of their seat for it or, you know, or get some sort of positive reaction. But the way that she has spoken in her in her promos and the backstage stuff and just how she's just come across as such a bitch, she's getting a lot of people to not like her, which I think is good. I mean, and, and credit to Big Show on Monday night when she basically, like, practically dressed him down in front of everybody. I mean, he looked like he was going to cry. When she made those comments about being a forty-year-old goop that's four hundred pounds, and where you're going to go find work? If you know, I mean, she's she's betrayed that role so well that if for some god awful reason, and you know, let's not hope this ever happens, if John Laurinaitis were to disappear off the face of the earth, um, and they needed to come up with something quick, she could be the general manager of Raw, SmackDown, the whole thing, whatever, and it would work because she she speaks very well. Um and she just insights like she doesn't have that Vicky Guerrero heat. Like Vicky Guerrero come out stand on the stage and say, Excuse me, ten times and she'll draw, you know, the the whole place will erupt and, 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 and boo her out of the building. But even getting to that point where, you know, she's she's each week she's getting better. And my nod of approval goes to her on Monday night for just her overall her, her, her part in the show and what she what she did to enhance her heel character, because it's hard wrestling these days for a girl to draw a negative reaction from
2: the crowd. Wow, yeah, and look at that, like the WWE, a a female with a a storyline, go figure. Um, Good call, though, on that, Uh, an interesting one, and a lot of approval this week, Um, you know, partially because I I think, you know, we we hit on it last week, and, and I think, think there are people listening to the show i'm not sure but i think there might be some people in power that are listening to this show because my nod of approval goes it's a little abstract but it is a resurgence of tag team wrestling i believe that tag team wrestling is on the upswing finally and we did a show about this and we begged and pleaded do something. Bring tag team wrestling back. And I do think it's on the way up. That's not to say they won't shit the big going forward. But right now, I think tag team wrestling is on the rise. When you look at like at TV right now, on TNA, Sol and Magnus, Kaz and Daniels, Kaz and Daniels' new tag team champions, uh, definitely good stuff. I really like what I'm seeing right now in the WWE. I like Kofi. And our truth is a tag team. Uh, they make a good team. Uh, Primo and Epico, Unico and Camacho, uh, good tag team wrestling. And one team I really like, and I really like what they're doing, and this is kind of what we talked about on the show, that over the past few years, the WWE would bring in new stars and just put them out there with nothing. And and these guys would die, and they were lost on the roster. I love that they brought in Darren Young and Titus O'Neill as a tag team. I think it's great for those two guys. Two guys that, look, have decent looks about them, but let's face it, if they were brought in as singles competitors, they'd get lost. They'd get lost on the roster. As a tag team, they work. They're obnoxious. They uh, can work well together. They have a good look together. And you know, it's a, it might sound stupid, but you know what? They're wearing matching trunks. And I to me that's important cuz back in the day, real tag teams wore matching outfits. They weren't two single stars that were just thrown together. They were a team. You know, you 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 watch basketball, everyone on the Lakers has the same uniform on. Everyone on the Dodgers is wearing the same uniform. If you're part of a team, you should have a team uniform, and the fact that Darren Young and Titus O'Neil have like the matching trunks on to me is a good thing. It shows that they're a team, they're they're a unit. Uh, so I like the fact that those two guys are together. So to me, we are seeing right now maybe a resurgence in tag team wrestling, and I know that I had read somewhere one of the things that Triple H wanted to do, uh, getting more in charge of creative, was to bring back tag team wrestling, and this was a while ago. And in my opinion, I was like, well, you shit the bed because tag wrestling still sucks. But maybe he just needed some time to put it all together. Maybe he needed some time to get a foothold with things. But I think that tag wrestling is definitely on the the resurgence. Um, So I am actually loving seeing it right now, seeing some interesting tag teams uh, going on. So good kudos to, to both companies. Keep it going. Let's have some good Tag Team Wrestling moving forward. Uh, Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Ken Show. Michael Lancaster wanted to give us his nod of approval for the week. And his nod of approval goes to Joseph Park. He says, I'm really interested in his storyline. Joseph Park, who is the brother, quote, unquote, of Abyss. Um, Storyline running right now in TNA. And Michael Lancaster is giving Joseph Park... His nod of approval, and I think a good nod, too, because, uh, you know, the abyss character was a little bit stale. They needed to shake it up a bit, and they're shaking it up with uh, uh, this Joseph Parks character. So, kudos to Michael Lancaster for uh, getting in touch with us on the Facebook page. Always check out the Facebook page. We want to hear your nod of approval each and every week. Remember, the nod of approval is just a moment, a, a performer, a, a a crowd, an arena, whatever you want in the world of wrestling. What you had over the course of the week and thought, hey, you know, that that just worked. And that's what gets your nod of approval. So there you have it. Eve and the surgeons of tag team wrestling. <laughs> the,
3: the Ken Reading
2: Show Nod
0: of Approval.
2: I just just could play that over and over again. I love that. Well, partner, we're getting up to it. We're getting uh, close to the end of the show here. Another two hours in the books. So almost, uh, we're about like two hours and 57 minutes in the books. Uh, Good show, as always. Um, So next week, we got the pay-per-view. So going into Over the Limit, we got you a, we're back to our regular time, 6 to 8 o'clock. Um, So, tune in to us. So, we'll be giving you the pregame for Over the Limit, uh, letting you know what we think for each and every match. And then, you know, Dave, we got to get into picks, but uh, you're beating me now. Yes! Yes! (laughs) Yes! So, just to reiterate, as we're going forward, get in touch with Ken at the on the kenreedyshow.com, there are archive shows. Check that out. As always, our show blogs are on the website. So go to the com and check that out. Remember, June 11th, Peppermill South. Come and join us uh, that night uh, to hang out, talk some wrestling for a couple hours, and watch the special Monday Night Raw. And Dave will be in Hartford, Connecticut. Dave, you pumped June 11th?
3: Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Um, Hartford. Like I said a couple weeks ago, uh, you know they've had some pretty uh, pretty big moments in the history of wrestling, and especially with uh, with WWE. Um, the first Monday Night Raw I ever attended was in 1999. It was the episode. It was in Hartford, and it was the episode where uh, the Undertaker kidnapped Stephanie McMahon, and yeah. uh, Vince, Vince, Vince and she, he had her on the cross, and he was going to marry her in front of everybody, and. Um, you know, it was in the height of the Attitude Era, and Vince tried to get his hated rival, Steve Austin, to save her. Um, and it was such a cool moment. Like, you know, watch i watched it back on TV, and, like, I mean, being in the arena was awesome when he came out with the glass broke and he cleaned the house to save her. But, the, of course, the commentary from Jim Ross just completely put it over the top. And that is, I mean, a lot of people don't really look at that moment as being anything special. But to me being there, I thought it was so cool. Um, and it's going to be a three-hour run, so something should interesting should be taking place um, at the show. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I can't wait. I, I Last time I went to a show in Hartford was a fan appreciation day during the Linda McMahon campaign. And it was a house show. And it was it was a great show. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Hartford's usually going uh, to get pretty pumped for shows like this and because uh, they don't come around to Hartford much. So it's going to be a good time.
2: And three hours now you gotta you gotta figure you know i mean who knows where they're gonna go Cause, you know and hopefully we'll get some word on where they're gonna go with the three hour show. Because, I mean there have been rumors that it's going to be the uh the draft, but you know I wonder how much uh you know the draft works with one g m running both shows, so who knows where they're gonna go moving forward with with that but three hours of wrestling June eleventh Mark down, get your countdown, circle that date, go and find Dave in Hartford to hang out with him before Monday Night Raw, get on the bubble, and if you're in the New York area, come up and check the locker so it's live, in there. Thank you for always,
0: you